arms that were left behind by the last patient. There's also a nursing shortage in the United States. In some places, the shortage is because no one's applying for the positions. In other places, it's because um, of, co of cost-cutting, just like eliminating a lot of nursing positions. And I'm wondering how you think the uh, diminished size of nursing staffs at many hospitals is contributing to the hospital-acquired infection problem. America's nurses are the primary sentinel of our healthcare system. You subtract from that in any way, and the patients are going to suffer immediately. And I think there are just thousands and thousands of cases out there that prove this point, uh, often with tragic uh, consequences. A Harvard School of Public Health study recently linked the staffing levels of registered nurses to hospital-acquired infections. They found that the lower, the lesser the number of registered nurses on staff, the more likely a patient is to acquire urinary tract infections, hospital-acquired pneumonia, and a couple of other related infections. Why are those particular infections more likely to happen if there are fewer registered nurses on the staff of a hospital? Well, urinary tract infections, which are the most common infection in the hospital, striking the largest number of people, are typically caused from contaminated uh, instruments. And so if nurses are rushing or they're not enough nurses and their hands are dirty and they haven't had time to clean their hands between patients, uh, sometimes the equipment that they use becomes contaminated. With pneumonia, which is a respiratory disease and one of the most popular infections from, from a statistical point of view, uh, this requires constant monitoring of a patient to determine whether they're showing the signs of stress, whether they're showing elevated fevers. And in hospital after hospital, and I continue to get messages every day from nurses around the country who say, you wouldn't believe how many patients they make me care for on my shift. One nurse just the other day said, I have 20 patients on my floor and I'm left alone with these 20 patients. If I have two patients who go into a crisis, one of them is going to die. With these kinds of numbers, uh, nurses often are rushing from crisis to crisis and the patients in between who don't need immediate attention but who do need attention just don't get it. If you're just joining us, my guest is Michael Behrens, and he just wrote a three-part investigative series on hospital-acquired infections. He's part of the investigative projects team at the Chicago Tribune. Did you find an example of a hospital that has made improvements and has a decreased number of hospital-acquired infections? Uh, we found many, many hospitals around the country which had you know, significant, devastating, lethal outbreaks, uh, which then came back, corrected problems, and virtually eliminated every infection in the unit or even hospital-wide. Uh, one of the most telling examples occurred in Detroit, I believe, at uh, Grace Hospital in 1997. This was a hospital where a germ broke out in the intensive care unit of a nursery. It killed a baby, this germ called Pseudomonas, which likes to live in water, but which is typically spread by touch. The first baby died uh, seven days after birth. Uh, within a week or two, the germ entered another baby, then another, then another. Four babies died very quickly within just a few weeks. The hospital then began to realize that they had an outbreak. Uh, by the time they got it under control, months later, uh, 
15 other babies that contracted the same infection. As they tried to unravel what had happened, they found the germ after checking each of their employees on the hands of a respiratory therapist who had been allowed to go into the intensive care unit to do medical care. But this person brought in a germ on their hands. They believed that this respiratory therapist, who I think remarkably had uh, a colostomy at the time from, from uh, an illness, uh, carried those germs from, from his or hers own illness right into that nursery. Uh, certainly the infection rate in that nursery skyrocketed, but the hospital, which has since uh, been renamed under new management, uh, Sinai Grace, has come in and instituted stricter infection control policies and have virtually eradicated every germ in that nursery. What are their infection control policies, some of the ones that we're, we're likely to understand as people who aren't those of us who aren't doctors or nurses? Well, the primary infection control policy, actually the one that's the simplest to implement, but unfortunately the deficiency that kills the most people is washing hands. Uh, you would be surprised at how many people just don't wash their hands in a hospital. And the studies show that doctors are the worst offenders, not nurses. Uh, beyond washing hands, the next probably most common infection control procedure is what they call contact isolation. If a patient has an infection, they should be isolated from other patients. Uh, I don't know how many stories I've heard and seen documented where patients with infections were allowed to leave their rooms and go down the hallway and get a drink out of the public drinking fountain where other patients might go to get a drink, or they're allowed to go down to the cafeteria. Those are the kinds of things that just colonize an entire hospital with germs. Did you actually go to a lot of hospitals when you were writing the series? It became kind of a joke in the newsroom, but one of my hobbies for the last year and a half, if you want to call it a hobby, was to visit every hospital I could. If I was in town on a convention, I would go to a hospital and eat my lunch there in the cafeteria. And I, I found the most remarkable stories by just going into hospitals and sitting in the waiting rooms, sitting in the cafeterias, and just observing uh, how nurses interacted. Uh, we saw a case in Florida where nurses took their lunches outside and sat on a picnic table to eat their lunch, and, and these uh, dozens of birds, uh, including ducks, would congregate at their feet looking for crumbs that fell from the picnic table. But as the birds are running around, they're brushing up against the nurse's legs, they're, they're brushing up against their lab coats, and then we'd watch these nurses who now have contaminated clothes walk right back into the emergency room or the operating room areas. One of the other stories or one of the other, uh, one of the other cases that I saw just from sitting in a waiting room was a nurse who brought a giant bag of cheese puffs to the nursing station. This is one of those king-sized bags, and she opens it up, and it's now become kind of a communal bag for the rest of the nurses and the medical staff. And over the course of an hour, we watched as 21 people put their hands into this bag. Uh, and then we started following the nurses, and we watched them as they treated patients, doing blood pressure, taking temperatures, changing bandages. And then they would come right out of the patient's room, put their hand back into that bag, grab some cheese balls, then go off to another patient room. Without Never, washing their hands? Without washing their hands. So did that make it in the series? No, we didn't use the cheese puff example uh, just because I had seen that about two years ago when I was working on the nursing series. So I've been accumulating these anecdotes for years. And also it helped assure me that the things I was seeing on paper in these federal investigative reports I could see for myself. What inspired your investigative series on hospital-acquired infections? 
The hospital-acquired infection story was really an outgrowth of our nursing investigation from a couple years ago. As I was going around the country and documenting how hospital staffs were being uh, systematically reduced to save money, I came across the fact that infections were really one of the underlying issues when it came to patient safety. So after we were done documenting nurses, we turned our attention to infections, and it was a whole new territory for us. Uh, We had never really examined infections. It's a topic that's very difficult to uh, quantify because infection rates in this country are considered confidential. So it was truly kind of cracking this veil of secrecy and using you know, literally dozens of information sources and combining them for the first time, often in unique ways that allowed us to kind of get this inner portrait of what's going on inside America's hospitals. What are some of the information sources you relied on? Some of the primary information was computerized databases of medical records. For instance, in the state of Illinois, every patient who enters a hospital is uh, computerized, and that information includes their age, their sex, uh, how many days did they spend in the hospital, every diagnosis, every procedure that was performed, uh, how did they pay for the procedure. So you get dozens and dozens of pieces of information on every patient who goes in. So using those kinds of computer databases, for instance, we can zero in on babies born in hospitals, of course, and look at how many infants contract infections two days, three days, four days uh, after birth, how many uh, infants never leave the hospital for some reason. And you can look at those codes and those procedures and determine what happened to those those infants. And you can do this as well for adults, specifically in cardiac surgery. How many patients went in for a bypass procedure and ended up having their sternum removed because it was infected? If you were going into the hospital now or had a, a friend or family member who was, what's some of the th- things you'd, you'd keep an eye out for? If I was going into the hospital today, I would would just religiously adhere to the advice that nurses in California have told me, never be alone. And in fact, the nurses of America have formed what they call buddy networks. And this is where if a nurse goes into the hospital, she has five or six friends or comrades or fellow employees who've agreed to monitor and watch her in her room or his room in many cases. And so nurses themselves are scared to be alone in hospitals. And they've relayed this message to me and said, if you go to a hospital, you need to have someone there watching your care every minute. Well, that's really hard to do. Yes, it is for most of us. So there have actually been stories around the country where there are services now where Patients are bringing their own nurses with them to the hospital. Now, your new series is on hospital-acquired infections, but in the year 2000, you did a series on um, uh, an investigative series on nursing. Mm-hmm. And one of the conclusions that you reached is that uh, overwhelmed and inadequately trained nurses kill and injure thousands of patients every year as hospitals sacrifice safety for an improved bottom line. Can you can you elaborate on that finding? Sure. I think uh, what, what the Tribune found is that nurses have become both victim 
and perpetrator. They're being placed into impossible positions where it's almost guaranteed that they're going to make an error or that they're going to fail or that they're going to be unable to provide adequate care to all the patients. Uh, so many nurses are devoted and, and, you know, give everything they have to their job. But when you give a nurse 20 patients and expect them to provide superior care to each and every patient. It's just an impossible situation. So the nurses become harried. They become overworked, and then the mistakes begin to happen. One of the most common mistakes we found, and it's a very unfortunate mistake, involves infusion pumps. Many patients who go to hospitals are connected to infusion pumps, which regulate the amount of drugs that go into your body through an IV. Nurses are rushing, so when they program those pumps to put the medication amount into you, they often make a, a keypad punch error. Uh, among nurses, it's called death by decimal. But if you're supposed to receive 5.2 grams of morphine and a nurse misses the decimal point, now you're receiving 52 grams of morphine, uh, you're going to die. Does that happen much? It's happened in hundreds of cases every year. You know, one of the things my mother always used to tell me is when you leave the hospital, you should wash your hands. She would also sometimes take off her shoes before she went home so as to not bring in germs from the hospital. Do you think that's a good idea? Do you think that's necessary? You raise uh, what is an amazing uh, finding, I think, scientifically. And a recent study showed that for every patient who leaves the hospital, 16% of their family members will be colonized with the germs that that patient brought home from the hospital. That means that those family members are now carrying hospital germs, and if those family members have an open sore, a wound, or if they're medically compromised in any way, they're now a likely candidate for an infection. What kind of response have you gotten to your series on hospital-acquired infections from doctors, nurses, and hospital administrators? I have to say the response to the infection series has just been overwhelming, uh, and, and I have to say it's just been sad. I have received so many tearful calls from patients, some calling from the hospital at the bedsides of a loved one who's dying of an infection or who's just been diagnosed with an infection, and they're asking for help. And universally, patients are asking, what can I do? What can I do? And there's just not an easy answer to that. Uh, I've received maybe 30% of the messages have come from nurses who want to describe the substandard conditions in their hospital. One nurse uh, just called me the other day and said that the hospital is now requiring all nurses to take their own medical scrubs home and wash them and wear them from home back into the hospital. Well, what we know is that if you wear your scrubs from home into the hospital, you're carrying whatever germs are in your home probably into the hospital. And we've already seen the, the tragedy from these kinds of cost-cutting maneuvers. What kind of response have you gotten to your series from hospital administrators? The hospital administrators not named in our story love it. The hospital administrators who were named in the story uh, are not so happy, I think, of being identified with this infection issue. Most hospitals admit that this is a major problem, and in fact, many of the issues that we've reported has been well known in the healthcare field for over a decade. Uh, but I believe hospital industries.